He is surely worthy. There can't be any denying that. God is worthy. The Bible says in Ephesians that he's blessed you with every blessing in heavenly places. In other words, he's brought the glory and manifestation of God in heaven. And he's brought it to earth. Just as Jesus taught us to pray. On earth as it is in heaven. You ever wonder what... Why does God redeem us and still leave us here? You know, like, why not just snatch us away? Get us out of all of the strife and the difficulty and the struggle. Why does he leave you here? Because you have a mandate on your life. It's to bring his glory to this realm. To manifest him in darkened corners. To be his hands, to be his feet, to be a representation. To be an ambassador for Christ in this realm why we're here we have no other greater purpose we have no other thing before us that takes precedent over that assignment from god amen nothing praise the lord father we're just so thankful today for your presence here lord thank you so much for all that you've already done lord father i thank you as sherry said there's signs up all over the place here they don't say men at work it says god at work <laughs> You're at work, Lord, in our hearts today, and you're not finished yet. And Father, we thank you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, my wife and I, I just want to begin this morning by giving out, shouting out a big thank you to the house. Uh, we've had a, a challenging three weeks, to say the last three weeks, and uh, some health issues in the family and, uh, you know, with Amanda and uh, all the rallying support around her and John and the kids. Just thank you so much. And then finding out just, uh, uh, you know, a few weeks ago that my mom had uh, terminal cancer. And then from the day she found out till the day she was gone was only like 15 days. So that was, that was a fast journey and uh, a tiring one and a lot of wear and tear on the family. But, you know, so wonderful to be able to be with her and to, to share that journey with her. And if anyone ever wondered why as the church, we're, we're pro-life. Why we are, you know, people who stand for life and are very uh, leery of any kind of legislation that interferes with that process is because there's something precious about us being there when people cannot do something for themselves. You know, we're all born that way. Every one of us is born completely dependent upon those who love us and take care of us. And most of us will go out the same way. Right? And when we try to, to get around that process, we deny, we deny our family the privilege of being there with us and taking care of us when we can't take care of ourselves. It's one of the greatest gifts that God has given us, is the ability to take care of others who can't take care of themselves, both when they come in and when they go out. Someone say amen. And we, we don't want to end any part of that process for us as a people. It's what life is all about. It's about caring for other people. Amen? It's about putting the needs of others ahead of ourselves. Praise the Lord. Well, I didn't want to turn this into a preach, but I do want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you to you all. You have been a wonderful uh, family, and we have felt it 100% around us and for all of the 
people that have dropped by and all the, the gifts and all of the well wishes and the prayers and the support, we say thank you for every single bit of it. Amen. Well, we've spent um, our time this fall talking about and learning to live as sons and daughters of the King. And that God has given us this great invitation to come into his family and to be seated with him around the table. And uh, we've learned in that time that our position as sons and daughters of the king is not the result of my efforts. It's not a byproduct of my work or even my best behavior. No, it's because of the grace of God. Amen. We've learned that although we serve, we don't serve as slaves, we serve as sons. We serve as sons and daughters of the king. Amen? We don't serve for a position. We already have a position, so we serve from our position. Amen? Am I making any sense to anybody yet? Good, because I'm just getting started. We've learned that we're not loyal subjects. We are a royal family. The Bible calls us a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Right? A peculiar people. <laughs> and some of you fit that description really well. Let me just tell you this morning. But that's who we are. Amen? Praise the Lord. As sons and daughters, uh, you know, we have been given this incredible invitation by God to come into His counsel and to receive instruction from Him on how to transform our environments. We've been given that offer and, offer and opportunity from God. And we do it as sons and daughters of the King. We do it as joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We don't do it as orphans. We don't do it as people who have been sidelined to the outside and the kingdom is here and we're outside looking in. No, no, we are in the middle of it and we're exercising authority from that place. Amen? Praise the Lord. Well, at Christmas we celebrate because the Father of all creation sent His Son to the earth on that first Christmas. And I want to put a verse up for you this morning. We've been talking about this verse, but it takes on particular meaning this morning. And it says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because we are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, which is the Aramaic word for daddy. It's like daddy, father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. I kind of picked this as my passage for this whole theme, but it's one of my, it's just become one of my favorite scriptures. And, and I didn't realize how much of a Christmas verse it was as well. And, uh, and especially this year, because this verse starts off with that phrase, when the fullness of time had come. When the fullness of time had come. Father, I just pray that this morning you help us understand what you meant when you said, when the fullness of time had come, and what the implications are of, Lord, you stepping into history at the appropriate time. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we are living in that history now, your story, his story, Christ's story. And Father, we pray that God, you would. Uh, as we look at your scripture today and we look at your truth today, that you'd guide us and help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When the fullness of time had come, did you know that the fullness of time that the scripture speaks of was a very dark time? 
It was a very, very dark time. How dark was it? Someone say that. How dark was it? It was very dark indeed. (laughs) The Bible even prophesied in Isaiah chapter 9 that it was going to be very dark. It says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death upon them, the light has shined. The fullness that Paul described came in a dark time. Isaiah prophesied that 700 years before Christ was born, but it still bears to be repeated that it was the fullness of time, but it was a dark time. The world was particularly dark. It had been 400 years since the last prophet in the Old Testament had spoken. 400 years of silence from God. Can you imagine? Just think about that. It's barely been 400 years, what, it's been what now, 500 years since the Reformation started? So think about that. If you had that length of time where God had not spoken, there had been no prophets, there had been no voice, there had been nothing from the Lord for 400 years. Wow, that is something. That's, you know, if, if a generation is 40 years, 10 generations had come and gone, and there had been nothing from the Lord. I have people come to me and say, Father, you know, hasn't spoken to me in, in like weeks. I just, the, the heavens, I mean, have you heard this expression before? The heavens are brass, Pastor. I don't hear God. I, I've not heard from Him. Could you imagine your entire lifetime not hearing from Him? Your children's lifetime, their children's lifetime, 10 generations of lifetimes of not hearing from God. That's what I would describe as a dark time. Wouldn't you? That is a dark time for sure. Why else is it dark? The children of God were under incredible oppression from the Romans. Now this is evident in the birth story of Jesus. Luke chapter 2 verse 1 records that a census was taken by Caesar Augustus. That census was a blatant reminder that the people of Israel were under another government. They were under somebody else's control and power yet again. And if you trace the history of Israel, you see how they'd lived through the, uh, the, uh, the, the Persian Empire and through the Greek Empire, now the Roman Empire, uh, the Babylonian Empire, even before the Persians, how they've been moved from one oppressor to another. And here they were again, 400 years of silence and now living under the oppression of the Romans. That's a long time and a hard time. Much like today, we've got soldiers walking the streets of Jerusalem, but there are Israelis walking the streets of Jerusalem, endeavoring to keep peace now. There were foreigners walking the streets of Jerusalem, oppressing God's people and putting them into an even further darkness than they'd experienced for 400 years. It was also a dark time because the chief priests and the leader of God's people had become extremely corrupt. They were terribly corrupt. They were uh, willing to make decisions and take money for decisions that they should have been making morally. They were making them for, for mammon, as the scripture would say. They had walked so far from God that they were willing to literally corrupt the house of the Lord, so much so that when you know Jesus came, what did he do in the temple of the Lord? He came in and he just threw over the, the, the tables of the money lenders and all the people that were there that were literally cheapening 
the God, I mean, the message of God, the, 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 the sacrificial system, they were completely cheapening worship by profiting from it in the house of God. It had been so corrupt. But there's more. Imagine the announcement. You're engaged. And you have to understand engagement in the Hebrew culture was like married, but you just had not consummated the relationship yet. Once you were betrothed, that was it. You belonged together. Does everybody know what I'm talking about? So imagine how dark it was for Joseph to find out that Mary was pregnant. Dark indeed. I mean, because Joseph, like everybody here today, knows where babies come from. Right? You know? It's not like he was, just because he lived 2,000 years ago, he was delusional about the birds and the bees. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, yeah, make it simple. So, okay, here's how it works. <laughs> so Joseph knew that Mary's pregnancy could mean only one thing. That she had been with another man. She'd been unfaithful. And so the darkness that Joseph was experiencing as a result of having this, under, this thing thrown upon him that his wife-to-be was, was pregnant. Imagine that. That'd just make your day a little bit darker, wouldn't it? Amen? Not only were the conditions leading up to Jesus' birth dark, but so was his actual birth. Jesus had to come at night. He, was, he had to be born not in a, in a palace and, and not in a, a nice hospital or not even, even in a nice, his nice home with a, you know, a doula there, right? Jesus' doula was a mule or a sheep or the goats. Do you know what I'm saying? At best, all, he got was, all, all that, that Jesus and Mary got was Joseph, a carpenter who was used to you know, making beds, not delivering babies on them. Do you know what I'm saying? And so this is the situation into which Jesus was born. Now, there's all kinds of speculation about, you know, because there's lots of things we like to say that they stayed in the manger because there was no room for them in the inn and all these kinds of things. Much of the story is extrapolated from one statement or another. It's hard for us to know exactly what happened. But suffice it to say that Jesus was born in the humblest and darkest of circumstances you could possibly imagine. How many of you would like your children to have been born in a stable? Right? Not me. I'm glad there was a whole team of people around, and I was able to just stand there and say, that's right, honey, just keep breathing. That's good. You're doing great, hon. That was about as strenuous as it got for me, and the fact that I had to stand for the whole thing. She got to lay down, but I had, I had to stand for the whole thing. I was, it was very difficult, very difficult. Wore me out, but... <laughs> But that's about as tough as it got for little old me. Amen? I can't imagine the circumstances under which Jesus was born. And then, as if that wasn't dark enough, there was Herod. Remember when the wise men came to Herod and they asked, you know, uh, they talked to him and said they've come following the star from the east. And Herod says, well, where is this, this king that you're looking for supposed to be born? And the you know, the, the priests say, well, he's supposed to be born in, in, in Bethlehem. And, you know, and so then Herod said, well, listen, when you go and see him on the way back, can you just come and tell me about him and where you found him and about his, his lineage and all the rest of it? How many know that Herod didn't want to go worship? He wanted to eliminate the threat, right? And so when the wise men had a revelation from God not to go that way, not to go back and tell Herod, 
The Bible says that Herod was furious that he'd been deceived. So what did he do? Can you imagine a world any darker than a king could make an edict that every male child two years and under was to be executed and people actually carried it out? See, I... I struggle when I hear people talk about how evil the world is today and oh it's you know it's just it's just so bad and and it's so awful and you know we just need we need deliverance and blah 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 and all that stuff and it's negative 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 negative. God never called us to be that way. Oh sure there's bad stuff going on in the world today. When has there not been? Seriously, when has there not been? And you sit at home watching the nightly news getting so stressed out. When the reality is, there's always been bad stuff going on. Always. But the Bible says that where the darkness is, the light shines the brightest. And the world was so dark that the illumination that Jesus brought lit up the entire world. That Jesus, the Bible says, stepped into the darkness, and the darkness didn't comprehend him, but it did not change who he was. Amen? And Jesus stepped into the darkness to forever transform that darkness. And he continues to do it. And when we as a people get focused on his transforming power, rather than the work of the enemy, we can go out into the world and make a difference. Hello? Oh, I thought that was better. It was worth more than that, wasn't it, Barry? Come on. Is that not true? I, I'm, I, I'm sorry, you're not going to ever hear me in this pulpit doom and gloom preaching. I'm not going to go there. Because I think there's never been a more exciting time to be alive. I don't think there's ever been a time when God has been pouring out His Spirit upon all flesh, when God has been moving and working like He is today, and we have this opportunity set before us to step into that, and to walk under that, and to live in that, and to exercise that kind of authority in this realm. That's ours! And it all became possible on that first Christmas day. Hallelujah. Man, that's good stuff. I don't care what you say. Right there? That ought to get you excited. i got to move on because literally i got like 10 minutes and I'm only like a third way through here. All right. So when the fullness of time came, as Paul said in Galatians, it was dark. But when the fullness of time came, it was also extremely filled with anticipation. The world was anticipating the birth of the Messiah. The people of Israel were looking for God to come. They were looking for God to come. The people of Israel were once again looking for a Savior, just like they had hundreds of years ago before when they were under oppression in Egypt. And they called out for a deliverer, for a Savior, and God sent Moses to bring them out into the promised land. Once again, Israel was living underneath the dominance of another government, and they were fine-tuned in their spirit for a savior. They were primed, ready to receive a savior. In fact, we see that God sent John the Baptist and told his dad that John would be a forerunner for Christ and that his job would be to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So that John the Baptist was to help make Israel 
ready for what they were anticipating. That's what that scripture is telling us. That they were looking for a Messiah. John was to come along and to prepare them for the one that would come. That was his assignment from the Lord. And that's what he focused on. Then as you read through the biblical narrative, you see a couple other stories. You see how when they took Jesus to the temple to dedicate him, that Simeon, who I believe was a type of all of Israel, was there waiting. He'd been dedicated his life waiting for the consolation of Israel to come. And when he saw Jesus, he began to prophesy over him. And then that commotion brought someone else over, a lady named Anna, who was living. And and since her husband had passed, she spent her days, all of her days, worshiping and serving in the temple. And when she heard the commotion that was going on, as Simeon was prophesying, she came over. And she literally now, she said, I can go to rest because the Messiah is here. That's how anticipatory they were of Jesus coming. It was a dark time, but it was a time filled with amazing anticipation that Jesus stepped into. Amen? And so into this time, into the fullness of time, the Bible says that God sent His Son. Into this dark time, into this time of anticipation, God sent His Son. We celebrate Christmas because the Father of creation sent His Son to the earth on Christmas morning. God did not send an angel. God didn't send a mere man. He didn't send a simple prophet. He sent His own Son into the world. That's who God sent. Out on the posters in the hall, you'll notice it says, For unto us a son is given. That full scripture says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And I shortened it, and I wanted to emphasize, it says, For unto us a son is given. For given, forgiven. Because of Jesus, you and I have forgiveness. See, Jesus didn't just come to be a good example. He didn't just come to be another prophet in a long list of prophets throughout history. Jesus was not just a prophet. He was the son of the living God. And he came fully God incarnate in the flesh. Not just to to live out his life sinlessly and to show us how to live or teach us some good teaching, but he came to die on the cross. And that's why when I meet people who say, well, you know, I think I'll I'll, I'll make it to heaven because I'm a pretty good person. I cringe whenever I hear that. I literally cringe. A, because I know you're not that good. Well, who are you to judge? I'm just judging because I'm going by my own template. I'm not that good either. The Bible says none of us are that good. The Bible says your righteousness in front of God, it's like filthy rags. No one is righteous, not even one. There was only one righteous enough to stand before the Lord, and he came and gave his life for you and I. So Jesus didn't just get born so he could give a good example. He was born so that he could go to the cross. And that's why the birth story can't be untapped or untied to the death and resurrection story. They're they're connected because the purpose for which Jesus came was to give his life on the cross. Jesus came and gave his life so that you and I could be forgiven. That's why he came. This gets reinforced over and over in Scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever should believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. 
Jesus came to bring life. And it's, it's important for us to know something, that Jesus was the Son before He was the Savior. Do you understand that? His being, He's always been the Son. He wasn't the Son when He was born in the manger. He was the Son in all eternity past. Hello? He was, now, when He came and He was born in the manger, then He stepped into the role the manifest role for us of being the Savior, but He was a Son before He was a Savior. He was family before He was the Redeemer. He was a God before He became God incarnate and gave His life for us on the cross. Are right, you understanding what I'm saying today? And because of that, then you and I are forgiven. The Bible says the Son, or C.S. Lewis says, look at that, was that a slip? Uh, C.S. Lewis says, the Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. I love that quote. The Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. And by men, he means men and women, by the way, just in case you, you know, you're thinking he's being sexist there. He's not. That's who we are. We are sons and daughters of God. And we have been able to be made sons and daughters of God because we've received forgiveness because the Son of God became a mortal man. Hallelujah. John 8.35 says, A slave does, does not abide in the house forever, but a son. Everybody say a son. A son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Hallelujah. Free. Free from what? Free from condemnation. Free from punishment. Free from what our sins actually have purchased for us. Because Christ by giving his life, brought forgiveness for every one of us. Hallelujah. The Bible says in Colossians 1.15 then that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. What does that mean? It's not talking about that there's nobody who was ever born before. No, no, no. Jesus was the firstborn because he was born into existence, to an, ex an existence that no person's ever been born into before. He was God incarnate. And when Christ uh, rose from the dead, he accomplished something that no human had ever done before. And that's to ar arise from the dead into a glorified body. What do you mean? Well, I mean, the existence of all that had died in the Old Testament had died and were still waiting for the culmination of their journey to be represented in Christ. That's why the Bible says that Abraham, Jesus said, Abraham saw my day saw the day of me coming. He saw it prophetically and he rejoiced because he knew that his life, no matter how good he lived, no matter what he did, his only hope in the Old Testament was the same hope we have in the New Testament, which is Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus came, when Jesus, the fullness of time it came and Jesus came, then we were able to be turned from mere mortals into sons of God. And that's what Jesus accomplished. Hallelujah. And again, in Colossians, it says, And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that all things uh, he may have, in all things he may have preeminence. Jesus, preeminence means he's the first. He's the first. He's the prototypical human. That Jesus passed after his death and resurrection into an existence that we all get to pass into now. Because of what Jesus did. And it all comes through the gift of forgiveness. And that's where I want to camp in closing this morning. Is that in order to achieve 
this or to receive this is a better word. In order to receive this, you need to accept God's forgiveness. See, we can't stand before God and say, God, I've been a pretty good person. I think you should let me in. It's not going to work. We're all going to have to stand before God and say, God, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that he gives life for me. And God's going to say, come on in. You're good. Come on in. i got a place waiting for you. It's right down down the road from me. Come on in. Are you hearing me? Putting my, you know, mom, her mortal shell into the ground reminded me again this week just of how important the gospel message is. You know, when I was a teenager, I used to sing the song by Trooper, I believe it was. We're here for a good time, not a long time. So have a good time. The sun can't shine every day. Right? Remember that song? I used to go around singing that all the time, but the reality is we're not just here for a good time. Sometimes it's a rough time. Sometimes it's a difficult time. But the reality is, is that this time, the one thing they do get right is that it ain't going to last forever. Right? And, and you need to think about what comes after. What is the after party going to look like? Well, I don't know about you. For me, it's going to be pretty good. Tom's going to be pretty good for you? going to be amazing. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm all for trying to do everything I can to transform this world to, to look like the kingdom of God. I, I do everything to make, make my wife's existence so good that when she slips into eternity, she won't even notice a difference. Hello? That's my mandate. That's my job here on earth. Are you hearing me? But I'm still not under any delusion. I know that when I get into the presence of God for eternity, it's going to blow away everything that I experienced here. That's the reality of the scripture. And how do I tap into that? It's by receiving his forgiveness. I am forgiven. Are you forgiven this morning? I'm forgiven. Hallelujah. I've got a quote up on the screen, and I want you to think about this for a minute. All true forgiveness is substitutional. Because no one really forgives without bearing the penalty of the other person's sin. Now I want you to think about that for a minute. True forgiveness is substitutional. Now you might say, man, that's a great theological piece. Actually, that's written by a bunch of people that don't even know Christ from an institute in the United States called the Forgiveness Institute. And that whole institute, its mission is to help people get freedom in this life through the power of forgiveness. They help people understand the truth that when you're holding bitterness and unforgiveness, you're locking yourself in a prison for which only one person has the key. You. You have the key. It's been given to you by Christ. You stick it into that lock and you turn it and you can come out of that prison if you will walk in forgiveness. You know, it's, you're saying, man, pastor, this is not turning out quite the way I thought the Christmas message was going to turn out. Bear with me. I think you'll understand where I'm coming from. Jesus came and gave his life as a substitute for you and I. That should have been us nailed on the cross. It should have been me. 
And yet Jesus gave his life. It was a substitutional sacrifice. He gave his life for mine so that I could experience forgiveness. And so what does forgiveness look like then for us with each other? If you forgive somebody who's fully owned up to it and came to you and made restitution, that's not really much of an effort. It doesn't take much. To be honest with you, real forgiveness, real forgiveness, biblical forgiveness, is that what you release when the person deserves it the least? The Bible says that Jesus died on the cross for me while I was still what? A sinner. It didn't happen after I got my stuff together. Jesus gave his life, and the Bible says that while still a sinner, Christ died for me. He provided forgiveness and released it to me while I was still working against him. If you want to know how to truly be free people, learn to live in that kind of forgiveness. Learn to live in that kind of forgiveness. Learn to forgive people who have harmed you or hurt you. Don't wait for them to come and to repent. If they do, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. It is. Repentance is wonderful. And, and, and when, you know, who repents? For, forgiven people repent. I repented to Jesus. Why? Because I was already forgiven. Well, I don't know about that, Pastor. Let's look at the Lord's Prayer. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against others. Isn't it conditional? You know, you don't get forgiven until somebody releases it to you. I want you to think about something for a minute. Jesus taught that prayer while still living under the law. It's a good prayer, but it's not a perfect prayer because it was given to a people still under the law. Paul taps into something deeper. Paul says this, I'm able to love, I'm able to love because Christ first loved me. That's the higher revelation. That's under the new covenant. I'm able to forgive. Why? Because Christ has already forgiven me. I'm empowered to release forgiveness because I'm forgiven. Forgiven people can forgive. Do you hear me this morning? And what are we this morning? We are a room full of forgiven people. So we've been empowered by God to give the greatest gift this year. Forgiveness. And that's how I want to end this service this morning. Is there somebody in your life that's harmed you or hurt you? Somebody who's done something against you? Somebody that, that is just on your naughty list? Do you know what I'm saying? It's time to take them off the naughty list and to release forgiveness to them. It's time to remove yourself from that cell that you put yourself into and to release forgiveness. And I think something very unique will happen when you're able to literally release forgiveness to them. You're going to find that they're able to come to you and repent. Now, you don't do it because you're looking for that. You need that from them. No, no, no. Jesus gave his life on the cross and, and with no guarantees that, that all humanity would ever respond to that love gift and accept what he's done. But because he did it, I'm able 
to receive. And because I've received, the Bible says, freely you have received, freely give. Freely I've received forgiveness. Freely I will give it. And you say, yeah, but you don't know what's been done to me. You're right, I don't. You don't know what's been done to me. But I choose to forgive. Let me just quote, finish with one more quote from my friend. I, as you know, how did you guess? To be a Christian is to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. I think he might be onto something. I want this to be the best Christmas you ever had. Honest, I do. But it can only be the best Christmas you've ever had if you release forgiveness. And you, true forgiveness, as we already noticed, noted this morning, is substitutional. It's giving it to people who don't deserve it. If you only forgive those who deserve it, you're back to a works gospel. Well, they earned it, so I'll release it. No, no. True forgiveness, we release forgiveness. We set people free from anything that we hold in our hearts. We give them over to the Lord and we say, God, be merciful, just as you are merciful to me. Amen? Praise the Lord. It's 22. I'm 10 minutes over. Let's stand together this morning. Praise the Lord. I want you this morning in the presence of Holy Spirit here today. Just to bow your head in His presence. And I want you to search your own heart today. And ask yourself, am I holding any unforgiveness in my heart against anyone? And you might, even as I say that, have an inventory in your heart. One or two people, maybe even more. And you might also be saying to yourself, but you don't understand, Pastor, the wickedness that they did to me, it's, it, it, the unforgiveness is fully justifiable. Ask anybody, they, they'd feel the same way. And you're probably right. All of the things that they've done, they don't deserve what you're about to release to them. But here's the thing. You didn't deserve it from God or from others either. That we as Christians can forgive the inexcusable because if we're honest and we stand before God completely exposed, we know that we have all been forgiven. All been forgiven. Things very similar, maybe even worse. We have been forgiven. And we thank God for it. So I want you this morning just to repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you that Jesus came, born as a baby, to grow into an adult. Not just to be an example, but to be a Savior. To give his life on the cross. To pay for my sin. With his precious blood. And as that blood. Has been applied to my life. I release it this morning. To be applied to others. I will not hold. Any grudge. Any bitterness. Any unforgiveness. Against anyone else. 
I declare this morning that those whom the Christ has set free are free indeed. And I receive liberty. I receive freedom. And I release it to others. In Jesus' name. Now I want you to take your hands out in front of you and put that person or persons in your hand that you've had that bitterness against and just take them and just give them to God like that. Just give them to God. Father, we just give this burden to you this morning. And we say, Lord, forgive them. Father, forgive them because, Lord, even though what they've done is painful and hurtful, we give them to you, God, and we ask you to forgive them just as you've forgiven us. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, for forgiveness. I thank you for mercy. I thank you for your love. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Now, would you just thank Jesus for forgiveness in your life? Thank you, mighty God. Thank you, mighty God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, mighty Jesus. Thank you, mighty Lord. Thank you, mighty God. Mighty God. Doesn't that feel good? And as you go through the rest of your week, maybe God's going to bring, this has been my prayer all week long, that God will maybe bring some other people to you. They might not even thought of this morning. That, you know, every time you hear their name, you're like, oh, you know those people? Oh, they're coming over for Christmas. And, 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 and all of a sudden you remember that the reason you feel that way is because there's something that happened in the past that you haven't released to God yet. This is your week. Give it to God. Be free. Because Christ wants you to live free. It is for freedom that Christ set you free. Amen? Praise the Lord. Father, we just thank you today for the truth of your scripture. We thank you, Lord, for everything that you've written. As Tom already said, uh, from the table of contents to the maps at the back, Lord, from Genesis chapter 1 to the end of the book of Revelation, that, Father, you have given all of it to us to, as, to guide us, direct us, and prepare us for you in our heart to be released to others. And Father, we just thank you for that today. We ask God that this season would be one truly of forgiveness to all those we encounter. To all those who have hurt us or harmed us, we release it today so that we can walk in freedom and so can they. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.